Amen, amen, amen. Please be seated. So grateful that you're here today. Looking forward to an awesome day with you. Hope you slept well last night. I had a horrible night's sleep. I know you say, oh, it's so great sleeping when it's raining. And that was not rain, okay? That was thunder, okay? I had thunder knocking on my window wanting to come in my house with me. It was loud and boisterous. Uh, but you know what? I made it through the night. We survived. You survived. You're here. You're watching today. And we're going to have an awesome, awesome day today. I do want to give a big shout out to all of our campuses. We're so grateful for all of our campus. Frisco, Wiley, Prosper, our online campus. Can we just thank God for each and every one of them? We love them. We love them so, so much. Well, lo we, we love our, our lead pastors, Pastor Dustin and Jamie. And Jamie, I know you there in Prosper, so we're loving on you right now. But uh, Lisa and I love you guys. And uh, you know why we work so well together? Is because we love seeing each other win. We're biggest fans of each other. And we're so grateful to have that type of culture here in our church. You know, it's about building the kingdom of God. It's not about building up our own kingdom. It's about building his kingdom. And he needs a whole bunch of us that say, less of me and more of thee. Isn't that right? And so we're believing God for great things in these coming days, especially this summer. It's going to be an absolute fantastic summer. I'm going to ask you to, right here in Allen, please stand up. Wiley, prosper. Uh, Frisco, will everybody just stand up right now, please? Everybody, I know, Wiley, you got those comfortable seats there. Come on, turn the seat heater off and get up, all right? Jay Moody, get up, all right? Get on up there. <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to open up our hearts right now. And we're going to ask God, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word. You know, it takes not just a word, but it takes someone to receive the word. It takes a receptive heart. And so we want to have receptive hearts today. If you feel comfortable, you can just open up the palm of your hands like this, just as a posture of receiving, just basically saying, my heart is open to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you'd speak to us. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you take your word, would you take your biblical principles, and Lord, would you bring forth life into us? Lord, we want to see our families transformed we want to see our kids being kingdom kids, advancing the kingdom of God. Would you speak to us today? Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the cross. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for cleansing us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, you wiped our sin as far as the east is from the west. And you remember it no more. And we stand before you boldly, boldly before your throne, clean because you purified us. We love you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray today. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, back in the day when I was in middle school, your bike was not some luxury item that you got cardio with, all right? It was an essential for the young man, okay, in the middle school years back in the day. It was my wheels. It represented freedom, okay? It, it represented being able to be with my friends and go in places where I want to go when I want to go. And back in the day, I know some of you young people don't understand this, but we rode everywhere. 
I mean, we rode everywhere. We, would, we had no cell phones. We'd leave early, and we would come back late, all right? And, I mean, it was crazy back in the day, but it was a lot of fun. And so I remember, you know, I had a number of different bikes growing up. I had the English racer with the curly handles, with the 10-speed, and that was all good and everything. But there was one particular bike that I really wanted. And for about a couple of years, I wanted this bike. It was, a, it, was, it was a Schwinn, okay? And it had the big, thick frame with the big tires and wheels. I mean, it was what these guys that did the paper routes. Do y'all know what a paper route is? Y'all don't even know what a paper route is. It was a paper route. These guys would literally have their bikes, and they put their handles up, and they put the bag with the papers. Now, I never, I wanted the bike. I was never a paper route guy, but. I do want you to know, our lead pastor was a paper route guy back in the day. Oh, yes, he was. And so there was this bike. It was a Schwinn, and I wanted this big yellow. I wanted the big yellow Schwinn bike. And it took me a couple of years of birthdays and Christmases to finally get this thing going. And one birthday, I think it was probably my seventh grader uh, year, I, I got this Schwinn bike. I was so excited, and man, I'm telling, my birthday's in April, I started riding it to school and back until school was out, and I'm going to tell you, I put some miles on that bike that summer. I mean, it was here, it was there, we went everywhere in that bike, and I mean, it was part of the posse, and it was great, and I had freedom, and I loved that bike, and when I rode that bike around, man, it was, I mean, I just felt good, you know? Felt good. It's kind of like I feel good today. I got my preaching clothes on today, all right? I feel good today. That's how I felt with that bike. And uh, I remember uh, beginning of school for a couple of months, I rode that bike to and from. My school was about a mile away, and no, no longer was I having to walk home, man. I had that bike. And uh, one weekend, one Friday, okay, I couldn't ride my bike home, and so made sure it was double locked, okay, and I left it at the school for the weekend, <clears throat> I came back Monday after my dad drove me that to, to, to school Monday morning, and I saw my bike had been stolen. I was so upset, just like you. I mean, I was feeling bad. I mean, it was sad face big time, all right? And I was struggling. I'm like, my bike, I had a double lock. Man, I, I told my dad. I called, we called the police. We did a police report. Look, be on the lookout, okay? APB for a yellow Schwinn bike, all right? My yellow Schwinn bike. Nothing. Didn't hear anything. I was looking around. Couldn't find it anywhere. Man, I could not believe that my bike has, was stolen. Well, I, I uh, had some informants in my life, okay? And uh, one of my informants, okay, one of my peeps, whispered a little something in my ear about a guy in our school. His name was Andy, and that's all I'll say, all right? I want to protect him, Okay. Andy had stolen my bike and painted it red. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's, that's what I heard, Steve. <laughs> that afternoon, I went out to the bike rack, and I'm looking at him, and that's my bike. That's my bike. He painted it red. So I sat there and waited. When Andy came, Andy, this is my bike. I'm taking it back. It's not, it's not your bike. It's my bike. You stole my bike. No, I, and he started arguing. I'm like, and I'm a lover, not a fighter, okay? But I was getting ready to throw for my bike, all right? I was going to get my bike. And so <clears throat> the, uh, the, the teacher saw that there was a problem, so took us to the, to, to the principal's office. I'd been in that principal's office, but I was excited this time to be in the principal's office, all right? So Andy and I and Mr. Jenkins was right where we were right there, and uh, I said, he stole my bike. 
And, I, and, and so Mr. Jenkins called my dad. My dad, hospital minister, he came. He, Mr. Jenkins called Andy's dad. He came. And I said, he stole my bike. My bike is out there right now. And he's like, no, he didn't steal your bike. He didn't know. Okay. He didn't know that there was a serial number under the frame that I had proof that it was my bike. Okay. And so we called him out. The police came. I'm serious. You don't steal a man's bike. It's like stealing a man's horse. You die for that kind of thing. My dad, because he's a good Christian man, let him off the hook. Okay, Andy, you don't have a record today because of my dad, all right? <clears throat> I walked out to the bike rack that day with Andy. I mean, I was, I, you know I was walking big, all right? I was like, man, getting my bike back. And he got the, the, the combination locker. I grabbed that, and I took my bike right there, and I saw him take the walk of shame as he walked to his parents' country squire station wagon over there. While I got on my bike, I took it back, and I went home, all right? And I had my bike. Let me just tell you something. We're continuing our series today. Take it back, all right? Now, I took my bike back, but we got to take our families back, all right? We have got to take our families back. Some of us need to get a little bit of attitude we got to get a little bit of attitude. we got to you know, pump up a little bit and say, I'm taking my family back like Pastor Steve took that bike back, all right? You know, for the, the last three generations or even more than three generations since the 1960s, we've seen a huge decline of, of morality in our nation and in the church. You know, that was back in the day when we were supposedly free and we were getting liberated. And it's love, right? love, peace, and drugs. And it was everything's free and everything's okay. And we're all liberated. And now, more than three ge generations later, we are paying an awful price. Even now, we have so many demonically influenced organizations that are continually attacking our biblical values and trying to destroy our families. We see it all the time. As our culture, I want you to know, as our culture has become less biblical, our culture has become more lawless. I want you to know we're not better than we were in the, than we, than the 60s. I'm telling you, okay? We're not better. We are way worse there has been a breakdown in society because there's been a breakdown with the family. Our own pastor said a few weeks ago, the most effective way for us to change the world is by changing our families. Church, listen to me. It's time for us to take our families back. It's time for us to take our children back. We, it's time for us to have a take-back attitude. I don't know about you, but I have a take-back attitude, and it's required for us to raise our children. We have to have a take-back attitude, like Joshua said. But as for me in my house, but as for me in my house, but as for me in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's the kind of attitude it requires. We have to fight for our family and our kids like we've never had to before. It is crazy out there right now. And we have got to be on the front lines for our kids, for our sons, and for our daughters. I'll be straight with you. We don't have so much of a children problem. We have more of a parenting problem. You know, we sit around blame children. When it comes right down, where's, where's the mom? Where's the dad? Where, where, where are we? 
And we kind of have a parenting problem. We see Paul even said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. He says, for though, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, 10,000 teachers in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. He sees the shortage. He sees there's a parenting shortage. There's a parenting problem. If you don't know me, let me tell you a little bit more about myself. I, my wife is right here. Her name's Lisa. We've been married for 32 years this past week, all right? Give it up for Lisa, the beauty, being married to the beast, all right? And handled me. 32 years. We have three. We've been blessed to have three wonderful children. We have two grandchildren, and we have one that's cooking in the oven right now. And so it's awesome. You know, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27 and 28 reminds me, okay, of the day each one of my kids, they were born. Remember, Hannah was praying and praying and praying for Samuel, and finally she got a baby. She got Samuel. And she said, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked him. So now I give him to the Lord. I love that. Now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. This is the kind of attitude that we need. And he worshiped Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. I remember each time that uh, Lisa delivered a baby, I was there. And I remember the first one was Stephen. And, and we did this for each one of our babies. When, when, when we, we had the opportunity to hold the baby, we held Stephen and right there, we dedicated him. We dedicated Hannah. We dedicated Sarah to the Lord. And we said, Lord, thank you for this child. Thank you for this child. He's yours. He's here for you. We're only stewards of this precious daughter. And so we would say this, and this is the prayer that we give. It's kind of like, you know, the Lion King, you know, when Simba was a circle of light and you got the baby up there. That's what each one of our kids, we just laid them up and laid them before the Lord. There, he's yours, she's yours, she's yours. Take them, use them. And one of the things that we prayed continually in their life, the most important thing was that they would be worshipers of Jesus and that they would be kingdom kids. They would be advancing the kingdom of God. And all three of my kids, they're all adults. They all are serving the Lord. My son, Stephen, he's going to be 27 here in this next month. He's married to Kenzie. And uh, they have two children. And, and they're doing absolutely awesome. They're here connected, serving in the church. Stephen has a spiritual gift of giving. He's, uh, he's a realtor. He's doing fantastic the last five years, residential real estate. And uh, Pastor Dustin, he's going to help us build that dream center, all right? All right, just keep giving, Stephen. Keep making more money. Keep giving. He's a kingdom man. He's a kingdom man. Our daughter Hannah married Kevin last February. They're, they're, they're due to have a baby in November. And, uh, man, they just are, they're just so committed to the Lord, and they love the Lord. My daughter works with uh, the only crisis pregnancy center in Allen and in Plano, Real Options. And uh, she, she has served, and this last year, this organization, this organization saved 139 babies from being aborted. And they led 69 people to the Lord. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. Our little baby, she's graduating this next year. She'll be a senior at Washtenaw Baptist University. And uh, she loves the Lord. She has a heart for God. She's a ray of sunshine to everyone. 
And, uh, and she, right now she's at Canacuck, and this is her second year to be a counselor, and she's sharing the love of Jesus with kids right now, changing their lives for the Lord. Yeah, my son, he wasn't compliant at all. Man, he was the typical strong-willed child. Any of y'all have a strong-willed child? There we go. All right. Oh, you have all of yours are strong-willed. I got it. I understand. Kevin was our debater. She was our resident uh, attorney. Okay. She, why do we need to go to bed at 9? Could you explain that to me? She was that one to question everything. She fights for justice. That's what she's about. Sarah, she was our compliant child. And, and here's the deal. This is the honest to God truth. If Lisa would do it, if we know we could have Sarah's, I'd, I would have Lisa. I'd have her have had 15 of Sarah's, okay? Not quite, but I would. The problem is, okay, I know there would have been a Stephen in the mix, and when it, I wasn't up for another Stephen, you know? All three of our kids are grown. All three, of, all three of our kids have a close relationship with us. They welcome our input. They welcome our influence in their life. The reason we have influence with our kids, even as adults, is because we have relationship with them. We've earned that trust. We've earned that respect. Today, I want to help you. I want to help you today. I want to give you some real practical parenting tips that will help you. Whether you have one child or many, or half a dozen of them, all right? Whether, you, whether you're in the process of having babies and deciding on whether we do on-demand feeding, you know, or schedule feeding, you know, or, or you have a, you're navigating the waters of being the teenage years and parenting teenagers, or it could be that you have adult children and you're believing for relationship with adult children. I want to help you. Church, we got to take back our families. We got to take back our families. You got to take back our kids. God wants it. God desires it. This is why he created the family, for us to be able to propagate the gospel. Let me just say this in Psalm chapter 127. Psalm chapter 127 in the Passion Translation. It says, children are a gift. Children are God's love gift. They are heaven's generous reward. Children born to young couples will one day rise and protect and provide for their parents. I'm declaring that right now for my kids. You're going to provide and protect for me in my old age, all right? Happy will be the couple who has many of them. Somebody needs to hear that word today. You're wondering whether or not to. The Lord says, be fruitful and multiply. Go, all right? Make it happen, all right? A household full of children will not bring shame on your name, but victory when you face your enemies. For your offspring will have influence and honor to prevail on your behalf. This morning, I want to give you five, all right? Five very quick practical parenting tips, all right, that will help us take back the family, all right? Now, I cut out ten. And if that clock keeps going, I'll be cutting out another one, all right? So, and so I've cut out 10, and it's so good. I, I don't know, but some of you during the quarantine, you followed us on Life Pastors. And if you don't, follow us on Life Pastors. And what I'll do somehow, I'll try to figure it out technology-wise, all right, to give you the 10 this week on our Life Pastors on Facebook and Instagram, all right? So the first one, don't. Don't try to raise perfect children. This is something that we all seem to fall into, all right? Here's the deal. It's just not going to happen. There's only one that was perfect, and that's it. 
And he died for all of us because we're not perfect. And our children will not be perfect. You know, when we first started out, okay, having babies, man, we were going to be the perfect parents and we were going to have the perfect children, all right? This is God's perfect way to feed our kids. This is God's perfect way, all right, to discipline our kids. God's perfect way to potty train our kids. God's perfect way to educate our kids. Man, we had it all. I remember my, I was telling my dad, well, the book says this. My dad has five kids, 16 grandchildren. He laughed. He said, the book? <laughs> That's what he did. He laughed when I said the book. <clears throat> we thought we'd have the perfect kids. Well, let me just say this. We didn't. We had three of the rowdiest kids, all right? Our, we could, we go to restaurants. It was just, we were mortified. It was so embarrassing. I mean, these kids act like they literally had no home training, all right? It was so, so difficult. You know, my son Stephen literally ran off a full-grown adult Sunday school teacher guy, all right? Just ran him off. He said, I'll never do that ever again. He was gone. Bye-bye, okay? The pastor's son had just won him and just... It was horrible. My parents even had a hard time <clears throat> keeping our kids for the weekend. They were tough. It was hard, okay? Um, can I just, just talk to each one of you today who are parents, are going to be parents someday? Those online, those in our campuses, I want to release you today from having to be perfect. I want to release you today from having your kids to be perfect. I want to release you today from having to have your kids perform a particular way, okay, that society tells you you have to have them perform. You know, it's not about you. It really is about you raising a future kingdom kid. And sometimes future kingdom kids don't all line up like the Von Trapp family in The Sound of Music, all right? Some, when you blow a whistle. Sometimes it takes a little bit of rowdy kids, all right, to do something rowdy for the kingdom of God. And I just declare today that that performance and that perfectionism will just come off of you today. Yes, do your best. Work hard. Play hard. Pray frequently. Love them a lot. But take that pressure off of you. Your kids will fall. They're going to fail, okay? And it's going to hurt. It is. It's going to hurt. It's okay. One of the things that Lisa and I have always tried to do is foster an environment in our homes that are that are in our home that our children will feel free to make their mistakes while they're here. You see, if my kid makes a mistake in a relationship or makes a mistake with driving or makes a mistake in school or makes some type of big mistake, I want those mistakes to be made when they're under my roof. When I know about it, when I can counsel, when Lisa and I can pray with them, how we can point them to what Jesus says about that mistake. Does that make sense? And so, so much of the time we're trying to make sure our kids don't make mistakes, but I'm telling you, it's healthy for your kids to make mistakes while they're at home. You know, a kid will do, a compliant child will do what you tell them to do until they leave the house. And if you have them leave the house and they've not made those mistakes, or could you, it's sad. To me, it's sad. We see college kids go off, okay, and they become something. It's like, well, because they never had the freedom to make a mistake here at the house. <clears throat> and so it's important to know that you don't have to raise perfectionistic type kids. We really don't want them to be perfect, church. We just want them to have purpose, all right? Secondly, secondly. 
The second practical tip is be what you want your child to be when they grow up. You be what you want your child to be when they grow up. I know we all have these visions of grandeur for our children. We want them to be this way. We want them to do this. Well, are you doing that? Are you walking in that way? Live at home the way you want them to live away from home. They're going to follow your example. Uh, 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 maybe nine months ago or so, I remember going to Stephen's house and he slayed. He was less than two years of age. Couldn't talk worth being. Okay, just talking like that. Baby talk. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, my son has a dog, and, and the dog is somewhat boisterous, and, you know, and so Stephen has to kind of get on him a lot of times, and he'll yell at him, you know, and um, trigger, stop that, you know. So we're there, and next thing you know, I, we, see, we, we see little Slay going, I have no idea what he's saying, but, you know, I'm like, what's he doing? He's telling trigger off, just like his daddy tells trigger off. Our kids see us. Our kids know us. Our kids follow in our footstep. I say much of the time, the life you lead is the legacy you will leave. The life you lead is the legacy you will leave. I know we all want to leave a great legacy. Well, it goes back to what kind of life are we leading? You want your kids to grow up and exercise? You grow up and exercise. You want your kids to go to church? You go to church. You want your kids to hunt, fish, and golf? You hunt, fish, and, and, and play golf. You want your kids to have a quick anger and problem with anger? You have a problem with anger. You want your kids to drink? You drink. You want your kids to smoke? You smoke. You want your kids to love Jesus? You love Jesus. You want your kids to have a good marriage? You have a good marriage. You want your kids to walk in purity? You walk in purity. Do you see what I'm saying? It's really hard to reap something different than we have sown. Our lives lay the tracks that our children will travel on. Man of God, woman of God, you have what it takes. Be what God's called you to be. Number three, never parent from a position of fear. <clears throat> this is difficult. Never parent from a position of fear. It's difficult. This is hard, isn't it? Because this world's crazy. We're seeing all kinds of things that we're like, we do not want our kids to get involved in this, all right? And I know it's difficult, but we must not parent from a position of fear. Fear always opens the door for the enemy in your children's lives. Why do I say that? 2 Timothy uh, 1.7 says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. It's a demonic spirit. And when we parent... Okay, under that, under that uh, uh, power of this spirit, we pass it on to our children. And it's not what we want. Let me, I have a newsflash for you. This is worth a lot of money right here, all right? Good parenting does not require controlling. It doesn't. It doesn't. You have to understand something. Control controlling is always rooted in fear. The reason we are trying to control our kids is because we're afraid they're going to get like this or go over here. We cannot parent from that fear. We can't parent with that control. The more we try to control our children, the more our children will be out of control. It's kind of like squeezing that old... That, that, that old bar soap, wet bar soap, and the, the, the tighter you squeeze it, all right, the further it flies. And that's what happens with our children. When we put control on, we want to, they just squeeze and then they leave. 
And that's not what God desires. He desires to be connected and for us to continue to have influence. God's called us to parent in faith, okay? When you make decisions on where you send your children to school, whether it's homeschooling or private schooling or public schooling, you do that not from fear. You do it out of faith. You get a word from God and you do it. A lot of people are homeschooling because they're afraid. Don't homeschool because you're afraid. Homeschool because you got a word from the Lord, okay? Right, does that make sense? When your kids start driving, it requires faith, okay? You can sit there all day long and be afraid to be afraid. It's not going to, all that does is it allows the enemy to enter. Walk in faith, and as like my wife says, in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over you. I mean, she takes authority over it. We could fall into fear real fast, but you don't when they start having relationships. You make decisions on your children, their relationships, and their dating, not because of fear. You do it in faith. Get a word and stand on the word. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 14. Uh, verse 23. Whatever is not from faith, it's sin. And so, let me just tell you, man of God, woman of God, you have what it takes. You have what it takes to walk in faith with your children. Do not allow fear, do not allow control to possess you or your kids. Number four, speak destiny into your children. <clears throat> Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. They're plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. You need to be declaring this over your children. You need to believe it for your children, that God has a great plan for their life, and you need to speak it into their life. I remember my daughter Sarah was struggling. She'd been at a, a new school for a year. It was her second year. She was a sophomore in high school. And she says, all these people, they've been together. They all have these friend groups. And I said, you know what? You need to be careful about friend groups because those can be cliques. And you can limit your influence when you're in a clique. And right about that time, I was on a daddy-daughter date with her. We're eating chips and a chip fell out. And I said, you're like that chip. She goes, what? I said, you're like that chip. All these other chips are over here, okay? You're separated. You're set apart. God's got something special for you. I mean, she took that. She took that in, in her basketball club, in her choir, all the different organizations. She just went and been friends with everybody. Her senior year, she was voted by her student body the homecoming queen. Because she had invested in all of those relationships. You let them know they're set apart, that God has a plan for their life. Most importantly, you need to say, I love you and I'm proud of you. They need to know it. They need to hear it. They need to say it no matter what they've gone through, no matter what difficulties that they've gone, no matter how great they've fallen, they need to hear their dad. They need to hear their mom say, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I, I, I'm not proud of what you did, but I'm proud of you. And God has great plans for your life. Number five, there's power when parents pray together. There's power when parents pray together. Unified prayer is our most powerful tool for change. You want the most powerful tool to bring forth change in your children. Maybe you're starting out. You have babies. But you want the most powerful tool. Come together, a husband and a wife, praying out loud together, okay, for their children. Stephen had made some really bad decisions, had really gone a bad, to a bad place when he was about 12 years of age. Literally, it was the only time we felt like we might have lost our son. I didn't know what to do. 
I was distraught. Lisa, we were distraught. We didn't. So I went to my pastor, Pastor Terry Moore, and I told him, told him the whole thing. And this is the advice he gave me. He said, you and Lisa need to come together and pray. I'm like, that's it? I need another pastor. That's it? You need to come together and pray. And he explained about the power, okay, the unity and power of a husband and a wife, a mom and a dad coming together and praying. And that's what we began to do. And we've done that ever since for all of our children. We'll go, many times we've gone in their rooms, anointed their rooms with oil, all right? Taking authority over darkness. Taking authority over the enemy in their lives. Calling for vision and clarity to come to their mind that the presence of God would touch them many, many, many times. Praying that friends would come. Praying that friends would go away. We prayed friends away. Praying that our kids would make right choices. Praying that our kids would have good relationships. They'd be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Protected um, and ex- protected by their over and, and whole and healthy. We prayed that they'd have a hunger for God. They'd reject lies. We prayed they'd have vision for their future. We pray for their spouses. We pray for purity. We pray for everything we can think of. We come together and pray for our kids. Matthew 18, 19 says, And again, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them in heaven. It will be done. I want to say one word for our single parents today. I understand you don't have a spouse to do this with. I want to give you a practical tip. Find someone, the person who, who is godly, okay, that loves your kids the most and join with them in prayer. Y'all join together. Y'all join together. God's grace will be upon you. God will touch your, your children. It, James chapter 5, verse 16 says, The earnest prayer of the righteous person accomplishes much and produces great results. So Lisa and I began to pray for Stephen <clears throat> like we'd never prayed before. And we began to take authority over rebellion. We began to take authority over darkness in his life. We began to take, we began to take authority over a negative influences in his life. We called forth the presence and the power of God. And together we had faith and we were praying. We weren't praying in fear. Even though we wondered if we lost him, we were taking him back in Jesus' name. We were claiming it in Jesus' name. And we did this over and over and over a couple months later. Got a call from my brother-in-law says, hey, I was thinking about Stephen, and there's this Christian hunting camp. Wondered if you'd, you'd want me to send him to the camp. I'm like, that'd be awesome. It, there's no way financially we would have been able to do it. He paid for Stephen to go to this camp when he was 12 years of age. I dropped Stephen off with his bow and his rifle on a Monday morning. I picked him up, okay? I picked him up on Sunday, and I remember walking in and they had this little thing presentation for the parents and they fed us and and uh, showed the slideshow and I could tell my son was a little bit different he was saying yes sir to people and I'm like serving and I'm like okay that's interesting and so they the, the the guy gets up and talks about the camp and how great of a week and we have a special camper that got touched by God and has been a leader the whole week da, da, da. and here's Stephen Collins I'm like what who that's my son what Stephen, as a 12-year-old boy, gets up and talks about what God had done in his life and how he confessed his sins to his brothers around the campfire and how God touched him 
and broke free. Let me just tell you something. We have been praying for our son, our daughter, and our daughter, our sons-in-law, and our grandchildren ever since. We pray take-back prayers. We declare in the name of Jesus, we're going to take back our children. We're going to take back our family, and you can do it for yours as well.